You're listening to the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast, episode four. Let's talk about racial relationships. Welcome to the Seminary of Hard Knocks, a podcast designed to help you lead with confidence and clarity. These are practical solutions for your ministry that you probably didn't learn in seminary. Now, let's join your host, Seth Muse, who believes the moon landing was real. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the podcast, and I am your host, Seth Muse. Glad that you're here today. Today, I have a very special podcast for you. Um, it's actually going to have to be broken into two parts because it's so long, and I felt like all of this content was really, really great, and so I want to make sure we get it all out there. What we're talking about today is racial relationships in America. Now, I know we're not going to solve all the problems here, but we're going to give it our best shot. So I asked two of my best friends to come in and talk with me and sit down, and let's hash some of these things out. Now, these two friends of mine have uh, very different perspectives on what's going on when it comes to race relationships. The reason is because my first friend is Dexter Crittenden. Dexter is a young black man who is aspiring to be a writer and a poet and is a great friend of mine. The other friend I have is Steve Myers. Steve is a Dallas police officer and has worked, he's a detective, he's worked in undercover and narcotics, and Steve is an incredible friend of mine as well. We have a great time, all three of us together. So uh, we're going to sit down and talk about some of these issues, and I'll be honest, a little bit a little bit of this conversation is a little bit uncomfortable. And, and so I left it in there because I feel like we have to get where we can have these uncomfortable conversations with one another, or we're never going to get anywhere in this conversation at all. And so I wanted to let you know that, yeah, sometimes we're going to make jokes and we're going to kind of cut up with each other a little bit because we like to have fun on our podcast and, and we're friends, but I hope no one thinks that we're making light of any of these situations because we all take uh, what we're talking about very seriously because it is a serious thing. However, sometimes you just have to relieve the tension, you know, and it's just, you need to laugh a little bit and, and we're buddies, we're friends. We all go to church together uh, and, and we've worked in youth ministry together. And so these guys I respect and they respect me, I hope, <laughs> and we have a great conversation. So I'm not going to talk too much here. I just want you to know it's going to be in two parts. So you'll get the first half and man, I'll tell you, we're going to end it here and we're not going to get to many solutions in this podcast. In the next one, we're going to start talking about that side of it a little bit. So you're going to have to wait a couple weeks to get that one. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and you'll get that. And so share it with your friends if you want people to hear it. And while you're there at iTunes, I would really appreciate it if you would take a few seconds just to give a, a quick rating of this podcast. And, and, a, and a quick review that helps me to, uh, you know, for iTunes to kind of see this thing. So more people can see it too and, and, and benefit from some of these conversations, especially this one. This one is absolutely an important conversation we need to have. So without further ado, I'm going to shut up and we're going to get to my conversation with Dexter and Steve. And I hope you love this. And I hope you come back for the second half. Here we go. All right, everybody, welcome to the podcast. My name is Seth, and I'm your host. Thanks for being with us today. I have here in the home studio with the jankiest of equipment, my friend Steve and my friend Dexter. And today, as you heard in the intro, we're going to be talking about race relationships, specifically about some things that gone, have gone on in Dallas and 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 uh, and other, other places in America. Um Today, I want to introduce my friend Steve. Steve is with the Dallas Police Department, and uh, Dexter is a friend of mine uh, from church. Both of them I know from church, and um, I want to let them just introduce themselves uh, real quick. So, 
Steve, I'll, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. If people aren't familiar with you, which they may not be. Yeah, I am uh, 32 years old, I believe. I'm a 10-year, uh, almost 11-year veteran of the Dallas Police Department. I'm also uh, the vice president of the Dallas Police Association and um, born and raised in Dallas. Okay. And married, kids? Yeah. 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 Yep. Yes both to both. Of those. Okay. Yes to those. <laughs> both of those. Mm-hmm. All of the above are checked. Yep. Okay. Well, welcome to the show. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming and doing no, this. Thanks for inviting me, so. Yeah. Um, Dexter, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I am 30, uh, single, no kids. Um, I'm a writer, spoken word artist. Um, also work at a radio station. Um, just a in youth ministry. I uh, love doing what I do with the kids at church. So that's about it. That's you. Yeah, that's yeah. me. Yeah, actually, I know both of you guys from the church, uh, Dallas Bible Church, where I was the youth pastor there for a while. Um, I know Dexter, I just saw you walk into church and yeah. uh, the only black guy and I see a white guy, guys. And I was like, man, I'm gonna go meet this guy. And so we went and, and hit it off immediately. Stuck and, out like a sore thumb. Yeah, yeah. I was like, now, now I know exactly who <laughs> I'm, I'm going to target here. Um, so I, I went in and, and said hi to Dexter and struck up a friendship. And then Dexter ended up in youth ministry with us. And, yeah. Um, so leading a small group of boys and Helping me out with media and tech and things like that. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been a, it's been a fun ride. You're still there, right? I'm still, still there. Still involved. Yeah. And uh, the guy that came after me, and when I when I left that post, is uh, inherited a technical guru. So <laughs> uh, you're welcome, Cameron, if you're listening. All right. So Steve, uh, we met on a trip to Guatemala. Yep. Yeah, I I remember um, my boss telling me, "Hey, I'm going to put you in a room with Steve," and and I was like, "Who in the heck is Steve?" <laughs> And he goes, oh, he's the police officer in our church. And I was like, really, a police officer? <laughs> Is he going to let me do anything? I'm the youth guy. You know, I need some freedom. And so he stuck us in the room, and, man, we hit it off immediately. Which is kind of funny because I said, oh, are you serious? I'm going to be stuck in the room with a youth pastor? Yeah. Am I going to be able to do anything? <laughs> I need to let loose. <laughs> and quickly we both realized yeah, yeah. that uh, things are okay. We're yeah. going to be all right. We're going to hang out at the hammock. All is well. <laughs> And the great canopy with hammocks and stuff. And wonderful, wonderful hammocks. Whoever built those, props to you. Yeah, <laughs> one of those, uh, and and one of my favorite moments there. This one of the students telling us about that incredible Canadian food that she had. Yes. And we were like Canadian food. What are you talking about Canadian food? And she goes, Well, it was like alligator and crawfish. And we're like, Do you mean Cajun food? She yeah. goes, No, no, it's Canadian food. No, like, no, we're pretty sure it's. Cajun food. <laughs> you that get would be Cajun. Oh. Cajun food. Oh, man. You got to give me some of that good Canadian she food. Had, she had some good ones on that trip. Oh, so <laughs> classic. Sometimes you just have one of those students that you're like, I can't wait for you to talk. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait for it. What else it's do you? So, what else are you thinking? <laughs> tell us everything. It's so good. Um, well, let me just kick off why we're here. Uh, we are here because I ask you guys to come and talk with me uh, and some more, so our listeners could hear. Um about race relationships. Now, recently in Dallas, there was a pretty horrific event. Um, several police officers, I think it was total five, lost their lives. Correct. Correct. And um, uh, because of a shooter in, in downtown at a protest, um, the, the protest was Black Lives Matter, correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And, and police helped put that protest together, I mean, and provided security for it. Uh, and then to have it turn like that was just so heartbreaking. Um, it was in response to some other things that had happened. Um, the Alton Sterling uh, video that emerged and it happened in uh, Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. And then um, 
Philando, Philando Castile in Minneapolis, correct? Yes, Minneapolis. correct. Those two things had happened. That whole week, I was gone. So I, I turn on my Facebook and <laughs> on Friday and start seeing, oh, Dallas is a lockdown war zone. What is going on? So immediately, I reach out to Steve because I hear cops are getting targeted. And uh, I'm like, man, are you down there? And he's like, no, I'm okay. And so then I saw on Facebook later, you posted, yeah, hey, everybody, I'm okay. Because apparently I wasn't the only one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, and so it was just a crazy night. And we've talked, Steve, about some things. And then Dexter, you know, you and I have uh, had a couple of conversations about what do we do next. And yeah. so I just want to get some perspectives here because I think there's a lot of rhetoric in the media, especially on social media, but also CNN, Fox News, this kind of, there's a lot of stuff going on. People are probably really confused, uh, as I've been, about how do we feel about these different things that are happening and what should be done. So um, I want to get your initial reactions to um, just the Dallas situation to start with, and then we'll back up to the other shootings that did happen. So Dexter, tell me just what, what were your initial feelings when all that went down in Dallas? So to talk about my initial feelings with the Dallas situation, I kind of do have to back up into the mm-hmm. uh, the first two shootings because that week was so heavy. Um, when the initial uh, the initial shooting, we'll talk more about it in a second. But when the initial uh, Alton Sterling shooting happened, and then uh, Philando Castile. Um, after the Philando Castile, I. Th- think I pre- I spent pretty much an entire um like an entire day just um almost in shock mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the day I spent either in tears praying or um angry shocked confused not knowing what's happening um and then I get off work and I had um been away from my phone for a while that uh that Friday and so I get home to see the news um, about the shooting downtown in Dallas and uh, having friends that are police officers, uh, having friends that were down there in the rally um, and, and just hearing the craziness that was happening. um, My heart was broken that entire week and and still just thinking about it. My heart's broken uh, because so many lives have been lost senselessly. Um, there's so much that could be done to prevent these things. But at the end of the day, it's lives that have been lost, whether it's black lives, whether it's police lives, whether it's, you know, whoever it's lives that have been lost. And that's the, that's really the bottom line for me is that people are dying for what? And so I've spent a lot of time in reflection, um, trying to think about what can be done. What, what's my part in this? What, um, what does the church do? What do we do um, just as people? And um, it's been, it's it's scary to think that at any t- time, I mean, we always know that at any time, you know, our lives could be taken, but to just see it so much and so frequently is really scary. Mm-hmm. And, and you'd said something to me too, when I reached out to you that night, also with a text, just saying like, Hey, what's going on? Are you okay? You know, is there, what, how, how are you feeling? Um, because I was, I'm, I'm thinking the same thing, you know, I've got these videos emerging and I'm going, mm-hmm. what is going on? And then I got a friend down there that might be targeted as a result of those videos. And so I'm going, oh my gosh, okay, I got to check on my guys, you yeah. know, what's going on and just heartbroken, just yeah. a heartbroken, helpless kind of feeling. 
Absolutely mm-hmm. helpless. That was that's that's the biggest word is helpless. It's like what can I do right now? Um, I can sit here and stare at the TV. <laughs> that's that's all I can do at this particular moment. I can't fix any of this. Yeah. Well, Steve, I, I'd love to hear just kind of your thoughts. What was your experience that night? I mean, I know you can't probably want to talk about all of it, but um, just init- your feelings that night, especially in relationship to the things that had happened before, you know, like Dexter was talking about. Like, uh, how do you see it? You know, how would a police officer see it? How do you see it? You know, just kind of give us your perspective. So specifically that night, I was at work. I'm not in uniform patrol, but we were uh, at the property room. And we heard a, uh, what's called an active shooter, kind of the same thing, uh, like if Columbine were happening or something like that. We heard an active shooter was yeah. downtown. And yeah, that immediately after that, we heard two officers were down and we were, they were looking for ambulances for the officers, but there wasn't enough time because one of the officers was very badly wounded. Uh, I believe that was uh, Officer Brett, Brett Thompson from DART. And so the officers are articulating over the radio. We're looking for an ambulance. Okay, i got to put him in my police car because there's not an ambulance around. Oftentimes, the fire department won't go into a live scene like that. If, they're, if there's active shooting, they won't yeah. go in. Uh, this, this case was different. There are, there are examples where DFD did go in with the officers and try to help extract other officers. Because not only were five killed, there were 14, I'm sorry, nine others wounded. There were a total of 14 officers who were shot. Yeah. And so that night, I rushed to Baylor Hospital with my partner, and we got there before any of the squad cars. I was the one who notified Baylor Hospital that we had wounded officers coming in. And that, first of all, that hospital staff, I, I heard Parkland did the same thing, but that hospital staff dropped everything and came to help us. Uh, so I'm there when the three squad cars, initially the three squad cars roll up, two of the officers who were brought in ended up passing away. Officer Brett Thompson, I opened the door and helped the medical staff with him. Uh, there was a, a female DART officer who I helped walk into the hospital, and then Officer Lauren Ahrens with DPD, with Dallas PD. Uh, my partner helped load him uh, onto a stretcher. So it's very dramatic. Went in and, and saw all of the, I was standing right there when they were attempting to save both those officers lives. And the things that they did was, was just as heroic as the officers downtown that was still going on. But we, we hear on the radio that that situation is not over when active shooters happen. They're usually very quick. When yeah. the police officers show up, they're usually very quick because we're trained to go in and immediately stop that situation, to stop that threat. And that's something that you're going to hear me say over and over and over and over in this podcast, to stop that threat. We're not going there to kill them. We're not going there to hug them. We're going there yeah. to stop what they're doing. Right. And if we have to use lethal force, then that's what we're going to do. Uh, but this this situation kept evolving. And there were more and more and more and more officers. And it was... It was apparent at that time that the officers, that the police officers were being targeted. So that brings me to that night. Now, leading up to that night, we have two very different perspectives on the the Black Lives Matter movement and the police officers' view of Philando Castile and 
Alton Sterling. Yeah. Two completely different what, views on that. Why don't you walk us through a little bit, just the police officers, you know, what, what do you see when you see those videos in those situations? Just, uh, just kind of tell us what, what did you see in those videos? Like, how do you look at it? So the first one was Alton Sterling and that was in Baton Rouge. And let's not forget, please. I think we would be remiss if we didn't just kind of touch on real quick that this exact same situation happened in Baton Rouge 10 days later on uh, with the, with the Dallas, the targeting of law enforcement, specifically mm-hmm. white law enforcement. Yeah. Um, the, the guy in Dallas, I'm not going to speak his name, but that guy in Dallas targeted, he, he told the officers while they were negotiating, I wanted to kill white cops. Same thing happened in Baton Rouge 10 days later on the 17th. Uh, but he ended up killing the guy in Baton Rouge ended up killing a black officer. And the guy in Dallas ended up shooting a black officer. He Luckily, the, the black officer in Dallas didn't die. Uh, but you can see a Hispanic officer was killed. A couple of Hispanic officers were shot. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter. And this is, this is where the, I think the law enforcement perspective is not... It, it, the outside world oftentimes can't understand it because I don't see myself as white. I don't see myself as... as as anything else, I don't see my, my, my brother in blue as black or white or Hispanic. I truly, truly don't. I see them as blue. And so did those other guys who went to to respond to those situations. They didn't say, oh, they're targeting white officers. They're targeting Hispanic officers. No, they're targeting me. That could have been me out there. Yeah. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to stop that. Um, now, getting back to Alton, let's, Alton Sterling. I don't know what happened out there, and neither does anybody else right now. And we sure as heck don't understand what happened three days. The, the, the time between this march and this massacre in Dallas was three days. Alton Sterling's shooting was, was July 4th, and our incident was July 7th. Um, I, the investigation hadn't unfolded yet. Now, yeah, you see a man die on camera, mm-hmm. and that's not pretty. No. And you should weep. A nation should weep when that happens. But that doesn't mean that it was unjustified. I don't know what happened, but I do know that the police responded to a man with a gun. It was a 911 call. They didn't just roll up yeah. and say, hey, look at this man over here. Let's go harass him. They, re- they responded to a man in, with, with a gun call. Mm-hmm. So they go and they start investigating this call, this this disturbance, and this Alton Sterling was reported to have been pointing the gun at people. So they show up, and the guy starts fighting with them. They try to tase him. The taser doesn't work. So they get into a ground fight, and a ground fight is not something that you want to be in. We're trained with that. You don't want to be on the ground fighting. You want to be up and on your feet. Right. And what he's doing is you can't see it on the camera. You can see a little bit of the motion. If you've been in that situation in a ground fight before, fighting with a man to try to gain control of his hands, you can understand what these guys are, are looking for and what they're articulating. These, these officers, in my opinion, um, they're communicating back and forth. And I think they did a good job going back and forth with the partners, and they're communicating, he's got a gun, he's got a gun, he's got a gun, and he's keeping, he's apparently keeping this gun in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a very close friend of mine who almost died in 2012. He gets a, a white man out of the car, and 
before he's able to pat him down, he says, hey, take your hands out of your pockets. And the guy has his hands in his pockets. He can't see what he's got. But he opens up. He, he, he shoots Matt uh, through his pocket and almost kills him. Yeah. I mean, what, are you, what are you supposed to do in that situation? Yeah. You show up to a, a call with a man on the gun. He's reaching into his pocket. You mm-hmm. know that all of your facts are leading this guy to leading you to believe that he has a gun in his pocket and he's reaching into that pocket and they say he's got a gun. They see something that looks like a gun into his pocket. He's reaching, he's reaching, he's reaching. They even tell him, stop doing that or I'm going to shoot you. I mean, oftentimes you don't have that amount of time. It's, yeah, it's, it's, I think 0.25 seconds to get into a shooting. They tell him, stop doing this. Do not do this or, or this will happen. Mm -hmm. And he keeps doing it. And, Quite honestly, those guys had to go home. At the end of the night, your number one job is to go home to your family. And that's what they did. And okay. so in Alton Sterling, that that situation, that's what we see. That's what I see. Yeah. But I don't know the facts leading up to it. Yeah, so and, I'm going to reserve judgment. And, and that's the point I do want to make sure we talk about is that a lot of times with these videos, when they do surface, mm-hmm. we don't see what happened before. Correct. And, and, and that leads me into Philando Castile. Right, which we definitely didn't see what happened before there. No idea. Uh, but before we go to that, just Dexter, you know, just kind of hearing some of that. I know, um, you know, you had said to me before, it's hard to to see guys who look like right. you laying there in a pool of the, their own blood. Right. You know, and that's just hard to watch. And so when you see these kinds of situations, what do you see in those videos? What do you so, see in that one with Alton? So for me, um, and I. Honestly, still have not been able. I've seen so many of these videos. I've honestly not, still not been able uh, to make it all the way through that video mm-hmm. um, because it is mentally taxing uh, for me. And you know, this is not to say, you know, I can't imagine what you guys see on a regular basis as police officers. But um, for me, what I and I, what I was telling Seth is that. Um, as a black man in America, we spend so much time, um, trying to see ourselves in the fibers of the, this country. So we're looking for where we're represented at all times. So to constantly see video, um, because you, you're taught, well, not necessarily taught, but we develop a um idea of connecting to seeing us because it's so rare um mm-hmm. because we make up i think it's black people make up 12.6% of the population so it's rare to see us so we're looking for us and you get you establish a connection when you see someone that looks like you so to constantly see someone that looks like you shot and dying and these videos where you're watching someone's and, and it's going to sound dramatic the way I say it, but this is what it is. You're watching someone's soul leave their body. And this person looks like you, this conversation about um, black people being shot by the police. A lot of people are making it like this is a new thing because they're just now seeing it um, because we're just now getting to the point of social media and the video surfacing and all of this. This has been a conversation in the black community for as long as, long as cops have had guns. Yeah. As long as I've been alive, I, I can't speak for that, but you know, yeah. this has always been a conversation. I've always 
um, seen these things, there's always been stories. There's always been, um, I know people that have died um, at the hands of police officers, um, people that I can speak for their character. So then it seems like, you know, even though you don't know the situation, knowing someone's character usually gives you some type of insight to that person that makes you feel a certain way about that person. So um, with this shooting, it's my, my first, anytime I see a video, my first thought is, oh no, again, Mm -hmm. because I'm seeing myself, I'm seeing my brothers, I'm seeing my nephews, my, you know, cousins. I have that connection to it. So that's where, a lot of the, um, I would say a lot of the outrage comes from is because we're seeing ourselves in these videos and the way these videos are being um, circulated and not just on social media because I understand how social media works, but seeing these videos on the news on such a large scale, um, I feel for these people's families that have to turn on the TV and see their loved one die oh it's a tra- it's a tragedy over. it's a national tragedy when law enforcement has to has to use force it yeah. really is i'm not saying it's not right it's not justified uh in in these situations but it's still somebody lost their life mm-hmm. and i'm, I'm going to tell you right now society is going to see more of this you're going to see more of it yeah well, I think humans in general, I mean, we are just not supposed to see that. Exactly. That is not part of our design. It is not, it, it affects you. I mean, just when I watched the video and I watched Alton Sterling die, mm-hmm. I mean, that shook me. It's rough. It, it shakes I, those officers. It shakes us. Humans are not yes. supposed to see that. I cannot imagine being the one on the other end of the gun. Correct. You know, not just, you know, having, you know, of course you lose family and that's painful and, and it's a tragedy, but being the one that has to live with the mm-hmm. fact that I made that happen. Yep. You know, that's a hard thing to live with. And I don't think anybody, well, anybody that does take it lightly or thinks it, you know, no big deal, that person messed up. You, you know? can see, oh, exactly. You, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So that, I don't think that's the norm at all. You can see, you can see that reaction in the Philando Castile video. The Minneapolis officer, he is amped up. Yeah. He's, he's terrified. He, he's, he's absolutely he is terrified. screaming like, I told him not to, I told him not to, right? And he's, yeah. he's just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. It's kind of what he's doing. He's, he's flipping out. Now, I don't know. We don't know anything about that one. Right. Yeah. We, we don't. We don't know what happened. We are hearing his girlfriend's take on it. Mm-hmm. She's narrating something. But she's, to me, she's a little, she's a little too calm in that situation. That, yeah. When I initially see Philando Castile video, that officer is up. He, I can tell he is, he is in a life or death situation. At least he, he perceives that he mm-hmm. is. And. Nobody in that video discounts that Philando Castile had a gun. Now, do we have a jumpy cop, or do we have a guy who tried to pull a gun and said, I was going for my wallet? Well, what do we have? We don't know. And so this is, this is where we, as law enforcement, are just asking, please let the investigation come out. Please. Please. Yeah. With Michael Brown, please let the investigation yeah. come out. Because right now, we have an entire narrative. Hands up, don't shoot. Well, the investigation and science have said that never happened. Michael Brown never had his hands up. He tried to, he, in fact, we found his DNA on uh, the officer's gun, which leads, you know, gives, gives credence they to, tried to grab it that or he something. tried to grab the gun or he was within close proximity. 
mm-hmm. reaching into the car, like yeah. uh, Darren Wilson said. You know, so body cam. That's that's kind of the the big one with with Ferguson. And if you remember, Seth, that's when we were coming back from Guatemala. We yeah. didn't know that it happened because yeah. we were on the plane. That was yep. the day we came back. So the, the so the the real thing we is you and I we should just never leave. Yeah, don't do it. I mean, just don't leave. <laughs> don't just go. Terrible anywhere. things happen when yeah, we're not here, yeah. man. I mean, the city needs us. But yeah, we do. Yeah. The city <laughs> needs us. Batman. Dude. Right, Batman. So, so, but Dexter, I want to. I don't. Please don't think I'm minimizing any of those feelings that you see because you're absolutely right. It, this guy looks like me, and I want to make sure that mm. that doesn't happen because in the past. Uh, in the past, black and white have not gotten along. Right. right. I'm not saying it's it's perfectly cured right now. No. Well, I want to I want to hit on something that, that you had brought up too, and Dexter, you speak to this, but you know, the question has been raised. Okay, if a cop is telling you, "Let me see your hands," if a cop is saying, "Don't do that," or if a cop is saying, "Get on the ground," and and the question's been like, "Why resist?" Why is there a resistance? Why would you not just do what the cop says? And, and and it has something to do with you know a a distrust of the govern of the of the system helping you out down the road. So uh, would you speak to that part of it and why? Because I think a lot of people are asking this question. I was asking this question mm-hmm. like, why in the heck, if a cop is pointing a gun at you, telling you to get down, would you not do it? And and so. Would you just tell us a little bit about kind of the, the perspective from the black community on why that all sometimes is an issue? Okay, so um, looking at, um, like you were saying in the past, and looking at a history of um, black people and white people not getting along, a history of uh, mass incarceration of more so black men than black women, but black people, um, and I did, like you said, a distrust of the government when to say, you know, why don't you just do uh, what the officer says instinctively? Um, and this is something that is um, for for most. I, and I can only speak for black men. And I, and I try not to speak for too many uh, people overall. Sure. sure. Uh, but I'll speak for black men instinctively in black men. We have a. Um, it turns into a survival um, because we've been taught that we have been targeted. We've been taught to, um, just like you say, your job is to get home to your family. Uh, we're taught that same, we're, we're raised with that same kind of idea, um, not just when it comes to dealing with police, but in general because we're in so many um life-threatening situations, even among uh, one another, even, you know, um, just outside in general, we're taught that same thing and we have that mentality. So uh, typically there, you know, how they say there's a fight or flight response. Mm -hmm. The ingrained, it is ingrained in us to fight, instinctively to fight. Um, because running number one is a mark of weakness. And this is something that is ingrained in black men, um, through generations running is a mark of weakness. Um, you have a better chance if you're fighting to survive, if you're running, then someone can come. These are things 
come up, you know, behind you. And these are things that are ingrained in us. So then when, especially if you perceive that you are being uh, mistreated, if you're being targeted, if you're being done wrong, uh, a lot of people, instead of thinking through, you go to what you, what's innate, what's instinctive. And that instinctive thing is what is going to happen once my quote unquote power is gone. Once I'm in this car with this police officer, he can say anything. It's my word against his. He can say I had this. He could plant this on me. He could do this. And we're taught to think like that because it has happened so much. There's so many, even within friends and family, there's so many of these stories that were taught. And there's so many conversations that happen within the black community that no one else knows about, but we're taught these things. So we're, we're taught not to trust um, because how do you know that this officer, now we're not, we will, we've never said all police officers, but how do you know? How do you know which one is? And it's just like you guys, like, and I'm, I'm hearing a lot of the same things. And what you're saying is how do you know this person is not going to shoot me or we're thinking the same things. Mm -hmm. How do we know this police officer is not going to set me up for something? How do I know it's Alton Sterling and not uh, Dexter? Right. Yeah. You, you don't. Thank <laughs> you.